Hello everyone, we are back. This is It's Technically Romance, where we take a look at Hallmark films from the technical point of view. And the romantic point of view. My name is Hamilton. And I'm Stephanie. And today we have a very special treat for y'all. We have a very special guest with us today. Mm-hmm. One of our favorite Hallmark screenwriters, Joie Botkin. She's written some of our favorites of Miss Christmas, Mm -hmm. which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, Cranberry Christmas, Love in Store, which was one we recently reviewed that we loved. So we're very excited to talk with her today. We are. We are. So why don't we just go ahead and uh, let's get started. Hi, I'm Joao Botkin, and I am a screenwriter at Hallmark. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, we we can't we can't thank you enough for for taking the time to do this. We're we're huge fans. It's, oh, it's a, a pleasure for us. So. It's a pleasure, and I love your podcast. And whenever you mention me, I feel like a fangirl of myself. So <laughs> you know, it's like very rare in life that you get to feel that way. So I appreciate it, and thank you guys. Of course. Well, to start things off, I guess we kind of just want to know a little bit about your origin of getting involved with Hallmark, and how did that come about. Yeah, well, so it's almost been five years, the first time I talked to an exec at Hallmark, I think it was like mid-May, and this exec that I vaguely knew from, because I went to film school, so um, I vaguely knew him through my brother, they had been roommates in LA, he was like, hey, is Joa still writing? Like, I work at Hallmark now, and I had, I wasn't really still writing, well, I kind of was still writing, but I had my son like two years earlier. And I had stopped working, was staying home with him. Oh no, I was like writing a book feverishly being like, I'm going to be a Pulitzer winner. Like, this is it. Mom is finally starting her career, you know? And then finished the book and like promptly set it on fire and was just like weeping alone in my room a lot being like, will I ever write again? And then this exec reached out and I was like, oh. So I started working with him on what would be Miss Christmas. And then that project got delayed and got moved to somebody else and I rewrote the outline for Miss Christmas and then the project a bunch of times and I'd never seen a Hallmark movie at that point. So I was just like, I'm inventing the wheel. Like I really felt like everything I was doing was just first class and like totally novel. There was like a save the farm line in there at one point and I was just like, no one's ever saved a farm in the Hallmark movie before. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I felt like I was really like pushing the genre. Um, And then like at some point in the writing process, I was like, I should watch some Hallmark movies. So then I sat down and watched like every Hallmark movie and became obsessed with Hallmark movies Um, and then also realized like oh okay let me reapproach this project having some sort of knowledge of the genre so I learned an important lesson in that which is like be humble you know like Mm -hmm. if you're going to do something like don't write a book before reading a book so I yeah so Miss Christmas was the first one and then from there the ball started rolling and like the project started coming in pretty quickly and they've really run the gamut. Some it's like I work on for three weeks and like, I can just feel like I really did a great job and I leave feeling like, you know, totally empowered. And other times like a project come on right now, I'm just like, I'm an imposter. I'm never going to write again. So, you know, there's always like the same, like last night, my son who's six was like, you seem down. Is it work? And I was just like, oh no, (laughs) this is an issue. Well, yeah, Hallmark obviously loves you because, yeah, you've written quite a few. Like, I was, like, looking on your roster, and I think there's only, like, two, sadly, that I haven't seen of yours, but I've seen all the other ones that you've worked on. So, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know what it is about your writing. They're just, as always, something so special. 
um and obviously we've talked about miss christmas a lot um and i don't know what i just recently rewatched it again and i had read in an interview that you had said something like oh you know everyone says miss christmas is their favorite i hope it's like i haven't gotten any better but that's not it at all it's just I think something is special about it, that it's your first one um, that you wrote. And I think we talk about the Hallmark magic a lot, uh, that certain things like come together. So your writing could be amazing, but if maybe the actors don't necessarily portray it perfectly, for some reason, this movie, like everything, yeah. like the stars all aligned with it together. And that's why it's just like so magical to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had a good premise. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's really hard. You make 45 Christmas movies a year. Like you run out of high concept ideas very quickly <laughs> so it's like oh like the rockefeller tree i mean not the rockefeller tree like you know trademark um but whatever we called it, it the radcliffe tree it was like oh yes that is someone's job and that's a big public facing part of christmas that all of us know about and so i think it was interesting that way and then the casting i mean brooke dorsey i love her and she is so she's so good at being just like that chipper heartfelt infallible Hallmark heroine, but like really heartfelt, you really believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Mark Lucas, of course, like all my friends oh, who are Buffy were there. just yeah. like, I will watch just one movie of your joie, but like <laughs> none others. And they, I was like, thanks guys. I really felt like I was going to be supported the whole way through my career, but they stopped watching at that point. Oh first. no. So, yeah. Well, I kept watching, but that did make me wonder like, how involved are you with casting at all? Like, do you envision ca- like actors playing these characters or how does that process work? Or do you um, get any say in that? I don't really get any scene. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, what about this person? Um, and sometimes they're like, great idea. But more often they're like, you're the writer, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm the writer, you know? Um, <laughs> so it doesn't go very far. I think a couple of times, like Taylor Cole for um, Falling for You, I was like, can we get Taylor? And we happened to get her and that was a dream come true. And then like, I just wrote a project for Candace Cameron Bure. So that was like written specifically for her. And that was exciting because se- I'm such a big Full House fan. I probably said that like in every time anyone's ever talked to me um and that like oddly it comes full circle for me because full house was such a big part of my childhood I mean like such a big part and then I moved to San Francisco like 11 years ago kind of to like live out my full house dreams and then somehow I ended up at the channel where full house was and then it, when like I was writing this Candace Cameron Bure movie I was just like oh my god all my dreams have come wow. true you know um, it was cool and that one was interesting because like I know her voice so well so I could like even fine-tune the jokes for mm. her but sometimes like you write them and the jokes don't hit like or you know there's someone playing the role who has a different idea of what the joke is and there's you know sometimes it falls flat or sometimes uh they can bring something to life like there is that scene in project christmas which where the amazing lead actor travis van winkle they're like they almost kiss and he says like can i kiss you which i didn't write that line in but that was the best part of the movie asking for consent like who would have thought and then he's like i'll go and she's like this is your home i'll go and i don't think i wrote that line but for me i was like oh this is kind of my favorite part of this movie so you're like oh <laughs> And sometimes there's definitely the opposite where you're just kind of like, oh, I felt like this was a really funny script, but the movie plays a lot more serious. Um, mm -hmm, That happens too. Yeah. Sometimes like the chemistry isn't there and the audience sees it and they're just like, the chemistry isn't there. And you're like, yep. You know? Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. 
So, I mean, going back to, to the jokes, is that like, what part of the script do you like doing the most? Is kind of my question. Is oh, it the jokes? Because you have some, some jokes. jokes in there that, that yeah. get me. It's the dialogue. I mean, like, I think even openly at Hallmark, people will be like, outlines aren't Joie's forte. And they're always just like, get her through the outline. And like, often I rewrite an outline a couple of times because sometimes I can like go off in a weird direction. And then some exec has to be like, let's fine tune this. But then I'll sit down and I'll just get to write all the jokes. I'll just go in scene to scene and just let the characters riff. And that's just the most magical part of the process for me. And now I've actually realized that like, what I have to be doing is writing out the whole movie like that and then going back to the outline mm -hmm. and writing the outline from that. Um, because without writing all those jokes and those moments, I can't really get a sense of like where the characters are emotionally at. So I've now found a way to make even more work for myself, which is super exciting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, I write a draft of the script and um, usually starts out with me being like, we're going to get this perfect. I'm only going to do one draft this time before turning it in. And like, I'll really focus on like the wording and the slug lines. And then like probably around like act seven, I'll just start being like, insert like clever ex like expression here or like he feels this way. And, you know, just like things in bold where you're just like, like usually the jokes are there, but I'll be like description of cafe, you know, and like, I'll just get through it and then I'll open a new draft and then I'll be like, okay, this is the draft I'm going to turn in. And then I'll redo the entire thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, I'm just I'm glad you talked about the process because you know I've done you know some scripts and everything, but how much sort of control do the execs have? Are they with you after you give it there? Do they put in stuff? Like, is there a back and forth, or how does that relationship work? So there's a lot of back and forth. They don't put in stuff. Um, there's a lot of um, a lot of like for me at least. I don't know how every writer I think has like you know pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses. And for me, I think sometimes I need to be reined in, or like I go off on tangents, or I think too broadly. So the, uh, the execs who know me really well can be like, let's focus this more and they can really see things you can't. And so it's really more like a crystallization and like a focusing and a uh -huh. tightening. Sometimes they're like big structural things or sometimes a character isn't working. A lot of times you think you've conveyed something and it's not in the script and they'll be like, what happened to X, Y, Z? And you'll be like, oh, I totally forgot. <laughs> like it was in my mind. Sometimes you come back in, you do these massive rewrites and sometimes you come back in and they're really small. And so, and then like when it comes down to production, there's usually a lot of back and forth because sometimes it's like, oh, locations need to be consolidated or maybe an actor has thoughts, but then there's like a lot of producers reading it and people giving their notes. And usually when you're finally in that last draft before production, you'll probably go back and forth like three times and okay. it'll get really nit nitpicky at the end with someone being like, what about this here? Or instead of saying for, what if they say with? And you're like, okay, you know. <laughs> So are the directors and the producers talking to you before the production so that when they go into the production, they have a clear idea or is there instances on the set where they're like, we need to change this? Like, how does, how does that work? So they shoot so quickly. So there's very rarely like things on set being changed where they're coming to me for rewrites. Okay. Um, just because like sets, I mean, I think generally they shoot like 15 days, I think, don't quote me on that, but it's like 15 days, three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really like rapid fire turnaround. From beginning to end, 15 days? I think it's 15 days. I think it's three weeks or maybe it's 21 days. Could oh be 21 goodness. days. Wow. It's something like that. I know I was partially on set for Christmas in Vienna and we did five or maybe six days in Vienna. And then I think they went to either Bulgaria or Romania for two weeks, something like that. So maybe 15 to 21 days, but it's like really, if you're on set, that like, it's just moving. 
Yeah. Um, so there's no chance to be like, let's rewrite here. There's also different ways the projects go. Sometimes you're working with a producer who has brought a project into Hallmark. And so then you are working creatively with them. And then whatever comes out of that, you're sending to the exec and then you're working creatively. And that's the kind of flow chart. And sometimes you're working directly with Hallmark. And so there's no producers. Um, and then sometimes the directors come in at the end and they want to talk to you and give their notes. Sometimes they're just talking to the exec. So every project's kind of different. Huh. Yeah. A lot of times you get like just a lot of notes at the end and it's, you don't know who's coming from what, but it doesn't matter because it's like everyone's creative vision at that point. So, I mean, you said that you had written uh, a book. Yes, where, two where books. You have, where you have full control over it. Mm -hmm. So when you go to a script when there's so many people with notes and everything, do you, do you enjoy that aspect of it? Or do you like the, the solitary, just I'm writing a book? I'd say still screenwriting is very solitary. Okay. Like I'll have an hour long meeting and we'll like discuss a project and pitch it. And then I'll go write an outline. That'll take me however many weeks, let's say three. And then we'll have another hour long call. And then I'll go and write a, the uh, first drafts. Then maybe we'll have another call for a second. So you're like kind of, you know, you're, collaborating but also like in the interim you're really alone with your thoughts so it still does feel very solitary and I'd say like if I can take it full circle although we're not full circle so it'd be like maybe a semi circle to like being humbled in a book I think you're definitely like this is a Pulitzer Prize winning novel like I've got this and then at the end it's like all work and no play like it, it absolutely is gibberish because you just you had no other eyes on it um mm -hmm. so like, I would love to say, oddly, the more I write, the more I realize, like, how much I need a collaborative team and how important that is. So pros and cons, I'd say. I think the thing with the book is that it's so much work. I don't know if either of you have written or if you write. Mm -hmm. um, you, so, like, a screenplay has some sort of end date, and it's, like, really manageable. And a book, for me, is just a beast. It can just go on forever. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever I think about writing a new book, I'm just like, well, you could write like four screenplays instead. <laughs> I used to weave and I would weave blankets. And then at one point I wove a tapestry and the tapestry took me like a year. And I was like, you could have wove like 20 blankets in this time. And I feel that same way about a book. Yeah. So what happened to the book? You didn't really throw it in the fire, did you? I mean, in the fire of my soul. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, the book was like, kind of good like I sent it out to some people and the people were like this is pretty good um some people thought it was really good I sent it to my like pseudo agent at the time and she wasn't in she was I mean I got like a polite pass and I guess the story is about how I don't deal with rejection well because I was just like one person's rejection here means I should not pursue writing anymore oh, no. um so if anyone out there is listening to this, don't do that. Like I'm a big Stephen King fan. And like, I love just reading about how Stephen King, like from the age of eight was just collecting rejection letters. And at like some point was living in a trailer with no heat with his wife, like picking Carrie out of a trash can being like, you should try to follow this. Like there might be something here. So I think that's really like the aspirational story that I want to strive for. But like, I think I wasn't at a point in my process. And this is something I've had to learn through Hallmark, just like what, where are my strengths in writing? And so I was trying to write like a big book and like a book that would like impress me if I was to read this book, but I'm not that writer. Mm -hmm. I'm like a funny, lighthearted writer who likes romance of dark concepts. So it's like, why am I trying to write a sprawling historical <laughs> masterpiece? Like, 
and that's another great lesson in writing. It's like, you know, if you ask a fish to fly, they're probably going to whip up that manuscript and stiff it into the like fires of their soul. So, you know, that's. No, that's good that you've gotten that out of all the hallmark writing to, you know, see your strengths. And I would say humor is definitely a strength. Like we always talk about how funny, you know, your scripts that you always have like the witty little lines, but also you mentioned like the darkness and we've talked about this a lot that we like a little, a little depth, a little darkness in our movies. So there is like that running sort of like theme of loss and grief in a lot of your movies. So I didn't know like what inspires you a lot for like your concepts for these movies or yeah. you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, totally. Um, I mean, so usually when I either pitch a movie or if a movie gets like creatively greenlit, I'll then sit with it for a couple of days and let the characters kind of start to unfold and wonder like, who are these people? And like take a big giant piece of butcher paper and just start like jotting notes. And then usually I'll start being like, ooh, what's their core wound? I always go to like core wounds and then I'll be like, oh, okay, this thing. And then I'll start reading like a lot of thought catalog articles which will result in me being like, I should find a therapist. And then like after doing that for eight hours, being like, I was writing a script, I think when the day started. Uh, So then going back there um, and just start like jotting down inspiration and not really understanding that everything I'm doing is just a reflection of wherever I am. So like I just wrote this movie, a Hallmark movie that I really love. I'm not sure when it'll come out because Christmas is first and this movie is kind of a generic. It could fit anywhere. But it's about a woman who's like having a midlife crisis. She's turning 50. And in writing the movie, I was just like, I'm having third life crisis do you know like I didn't even realize and like questioning all of these things um so usually like every movie is just a reflection of sometimes where I'm at which sounds so narcissistic um but I don't if there's a writer out there who's completely separating themselves from their characters like please call me so I can be your mentee because I don't know how to do it and so there's a lot of that I think like in like I'm trying to think about a movie that really was a reflection of the times oh like I think there was a moment in Project Christmas Wish and this was inspired by something an exec said to me she's like they are kind of having like their inside out moment where they're realizing like you need happiness to have sadness or sadness to have happiness um but a lot of like the that movie was kind of inspired by like my son starting to ask me hard questions about life and me kind of being like I don't know the answer but like I'm right here with you and like maybe that's the like only comfort we can really give each other which like probably isn't the best answer for a six-year-old but like (laughs) try to stay honest so little things like that and like right now I'm writing as I said there's this one project I just like am really not able to get right right now um and that one is really just like both stemming from and feeding my own crippling self-anxiety and like feelings of unworthiness so it is a character being like I strove for validation my whole life and like now I'm feeling empty and like unsure where to truly find meaning and I'm like oh wow you're not feeling that way at all you know like (laughs) but then you're kind of like make it Christmas you know like (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I'm not really sure sometimes it's like a location like there'll be like a lake set and I'll like remember like a beautiful lake town and then that will like I'll go off into like some sort of weird land with that sometimes I'm like oh I get paid just to make stuff up like I can do anything and then the exec comes back to me and is like not anything you know (laughs) so there's some of that well I mean we we really appreciate the the depth that these characters have that that you write um 
you know, there was a movie, oh, I forget the name of it. I think it was, was it Beverly Hills? Was that the one? Oh, Beverly Hills Wedding. Yeah. And there was a moment in there and I was like, oh, that's just, that's just Joao Millet right there. You know, they started opening up and kind of letting themselves in like, oh, that's, that's definitely her right there. So. Well, you know what? I remember listening to that and I didn't write a lot of that script, but the point that, that, that you pointed out, I was like, oh, wow, that is me. And I can't believe yes. like you can really hear my voice. And I felt so seen. That's, I mean, that's awesome. So we really, really appreciate that because it, it just makes these movies a lot more relatable. And I, I think anytime that Hallmark is able to do that, I think it's, it's you know, home run for them. So Yeah. And I see that like on Twitter when I see people live tweeting and I just see how deeply people are connecting and paralleling these stories with their own lives. And you mm-hmm. realize, oh, there's a word, what's it called? Um, there's like this word for when robots begin to look too much like us. And oh, this uncanny valley uncanny valley yeah yeah so you realize sometimes when you're writing hallmark movies you're like in the uncanny valley and then you see people responding to them and you're like oh no we truly surpassed that it's come to life because there's something about hallmark movies where you're like it's not quite life you know like it's its own sheen and it's its own world and like we don't want it to be too much like life that would ruin the magic of it but then we have to have those moments where we truly feel like they are human and they they are living within our world and they're aspirational and or at least that's how I feel about it. Yeah, um, I feel like that's why they're so special to me because I can't like we have the relatable factors in there, but then no matter what is actually going on in your own personal life or the real world, you know, this movie's going to end in a happy way. Everything's going to work out and it's going to be okay. <laughs> Yeah. And that's actually something I'm struggling with, with writing Hallmark movies now, which is like my grandma is constantly writing me scathing letters being like, she read, she watches every single Hallmark movie and she writes mine and she does not mind telling me what she thinks about them. Um, and she'll write me letters like the second it started, I knew how it was going to end. And you're like, okay, well, A, that's the format. You, yeah. know, you don't like it. Like go watch HBO. B, give me some tips here, you know? And so there's projects now where I start to be like, oh, those typical Hallmark movies where it's like at heart to heart, you're like, wait, can I choose a different moment? Can Mm -hmm. I gloss maybe? Or like, can I, is there, you know, or like the guy who's like struggling with X, but you know, he secretly wants to be doing Z and the movie's going to end with him doing Z. Is there another way that we can approach that so we don't see it coming? So my grandma isn't still writing me these angry letters, you know? And then like I find in this movie, I'm sorry that I keep talking about this movie, I can't get it right. Like all the viewers are going to take away is that like Joa is struggling in her life. But like- I'm excited um, for whatever this is. <laughs> it's really, um, it's a Christmas movie. And I don't want to say what it is because there's a chance that I'll get kicked off it maybe. And then I'll be like, that movie I was going to write. And you'll be like, oh, I don't think Joa wrote that one anymore. <laughs> but like, I keep coming back to it being like, oh, all the typical moments that would be like these very Christmas Hallmark moments. Can we just not have them? Can we do something else? entirely and still keep this within the genre like how can we approach these arcs differently and it's a challenge to me and I think that's partially why I'm like somewhat struggling struggling yeah Yeah. no I think that's awesome that we love when you know the envelope's a little pushed and we see things that are a little bit different obviously we love the typical format it's happy makes us happy but when we get those little moments that are like not not expected yeah those are great me too as a writer like I watch other writer hallmark writers doing it I'm always just so inspired I'm always like oh yes okay cool you know the bar's been pushed let's do this thing like I just read a script um someone else's script she's a first-time hallmark writer and her movie will be coming up this Christmas and I was just like yes (laughs) like this is great 
this is like we have not seen this movie on Hallmark. Like the fact that we're doing this now, we could do all these other things. And I was just awesome. really inspired by the project and very excited for it. And when it's coming up, I'll let you guys know so you can. Oh, please do, please. Yeah, do. but I think also it'll stand out. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah. speaking of things that we do expect from Hallmark movies, we wanted to talk a little bit about the interrupted kisses. Bring it on. So. They do happen in your movies. You ride them in. They're in most every movie. Every once in a while, they actually kiss. And we're like, whoa. Um, yeah. But how do you feel about the interrupted kisses? Specifically in Christmas in Vienna. Christmas in Vienna. Was... Yeah, I think we, we have notes like that. That movie had one of the most like interrupted kisses. Like, I that think it was like a lot three of times. <laughs> yeah, really? So they had the Ferris wheel, which was they interrupted their own kiss because they weren't ready to be there yet. Yeah. Where else they had at the end right they're about to go on stage interrupted kiss and i think there was i swear there was one more one more um it might not have been it might not have been an interrupted but it was like uh it was market. one of those moments yeah they're standing in the market it was... um so i will start this conversation by saying i wrote a movie for hallmark that has yet to air it's been sitting around for a couple of years and in that movie so i wrote this like three years ago there's a whole scene about the interrupted kiss where they're like, okay, are we ready to kiss? Like, is no one looking for us? Are our cell phones off? Like, is the barn not burning down? Like, are all of the things, can we have this kiss? And so I have a whole like create, uh, like artistic diatribe about the interrupted kiss. Really? Um, yes, and it oh. has yet to air. I love that, um, like sort of poking fun at the trope. Totally, you... totally poking fun at the trope. I think it used to be that Hallmark didn't really want to do the like act seven kiss mm. um, because sometimes people would think the movie is over everyone's happy and the movie's over and so a lot wow. of what was happening was that you either had to like have a kiss and then have a conflict to make sure people knew the movie wasn't over or they didn't kiss and then that kind of started to change something that happens a lot is that like we want to save the kiss for the very end so there'll be an almost kiss and like mid act nine and then they're like save it you know <laughs> and then we come back to it like two minutes later because the act is six eight minutes long and do it then but i'm not answering your question i'm aware of that <laughs> you're, you're well, you, you're you are because it's good to know it's more of like it's in the format you kind of like have to put it in there well, it's not it's kind of like if you have a kiss at the end of act seven and they kiss on the ferris wheel sailing off into the night like a lot of people are changing the channel because the movie is over you know mm -hmm. and also like if they kiss in a like kind of character arc emotional way it's harder to bring them if they're kissing let's say act seven which is almost like how much time you need to get your characters to kiss and i'm talking like super formula here i don't want to say that this is the way that it is right. but if you were to be like really generically formulaic about it once they kiss you still have to break them up in act eight and then get them back together in act nine and so i think a lot of the emotional beats i resort to is like they want to kiss but they're not quite there like maybe they're like safeguarding their hearts or maybe the phone is ringing or the barn is burning or whatever it is but like it has not locked them into this kiss that will make it harder for us to now divide them up and then bring them back together but i will tell you i'm trying to move away from the interrupted kiss i'm now leaning more into like just the crippling uh lack of vulnerability and like uh emotional like attachment issues that they have that will stop them from kissing. So no more kiss. Now they're more just like, I have vulnerability issues. So you can see a lot of that coming. Of course, not reflected by my own at all. So no, sometimes it definitely does make sense. I'm yeah. like, okay, it makes sense that, you know, they didn't kiss. 
I was just gonna say, I think one of my favorites is a summer movie called like Love, of course. And she's a widower and he's like, a, I think it's called Love, of course, or maybe it's called something else. And he is like, and they're both kind of like older, more mature characters. And they have this almost kiss where like, they're both not, she's not ready. And that one always, I thought that was like the level 12 of almost kisses. Um, in terms of the characters, really, you really feeling like, oh, they're not there yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when it, when it hurts the viewers, when you're like, no, they're there, they're there, they can do it. They can do it. Please, please. And then it's like the kid comes in you're like, oh. Yeah. I know. It's always the kid. The kid. I know. The thing, the trope I really don't like, which I do still resort to, is like the act eight where they both have something on their mind and someone's like, I have something to tell you. And the other person's like, me too. And then they're like, you go first, you know? And then they like tell the thing and then they're like, what are you going to say? And the person's like, oh, nothing. Has anyone in your life ever come to you and been like, I have something to tell you. And then you spill your heart to them. And then you're like, what were you going to say? And they're like, nothing. (laughs) For me, I'm always like, you said you were, you said you were. Well, um, I mean, you, you talked about the act eight breakup. Mm-hmm. And since you, you do listen to the podcast, you know how I feel about conflict in these movies. And I'm totally behind you. Okay. What what can be done, in your opinion, to to solve this issue? Because I can't yeah. be the only one that has this issue where they and to your credit, when when it does happen, you have them have a conversation almost right away. They have an adult conversation about what happened and they move on. And I love that because that's that's realistic. I love that. So is that how to solve this for this issue? What is what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think about this a lot and you inspired me to think about this more. <laughs> nice. Um, for sure, because I have the same feeling. Like I the act seven almost kiss, we're in love. And then like literally six minutes later, there's completely over. And then and so what happens for me is and then you know, act nine, they're getting back together. And so what happens for me is that I start going into the script and start layering the conflict earlier it's like it can't be that like let's say the movie i'm really struggling on right now they're in a contest so and they've always been competitive it can't be act eight suddenly like they're competitive again and they're going to break up it's no we've seen all this growth from act three to act eight why are these adults resorting to acting like children Mm -hmm. so it has to be like what is the core wound what is actually happening and so you start building in like she's afraid to let him in and he's afraid he's a selfish guy and you hope that like let's say this project particularly you hope it's going to work and going to land but like the other option is you move the conflict earlier like Mm -hmm. at end of act seven or act six you really start to be like oh there's a grave issue that might break these up but then you have several acts of conflict that I'm not sure the viewers want to see. Yeah. You know, like it leads kind of to like more arguing and more soundboarding where they're each going to their perspective, friends or family being like, this is what's going on. But now that I'm talking about it, even while I'm saying it, I'm just like, oh, this is all kind of like self-limiting creative, creative limitations I'm imposing on myself. Like, why can't we completely try something new, you know? There are so many arcs, like there are sine waves of relationships. Like, is there a way to do that and also build to a cathartic climax that we want? It's a challenge, but like, that's fun. So yeah, maybe I'm going to be typing, writing you ham. What do you got? How do you think? I mean, I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking about is to me, it's like the conflict, I think is more of an internal conflict, right? You can have them sort of struggle. Like, should I stay here or should I, you know, um, go back to my small town, for instance? You know, that to me is no one's done that one before but yeah, yeah i think it's, it's a fresh idea fresh yeah. idea Hallmark. you can take it i i think 
I think that's all the conflict you need in some of these, not in all of them, but in some of these mm-hmm. films, just that internal struggle and not the struggle with the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe the person can recognize they're struggling. And I, I don't know, I'm just, when I, when I see bad conflict, it just, it always makes me so sad. I know. I feel the same way, but like, I also want to be devil's advocate here where you're like, this movie is not about these people changing this point in time. Mm-hmm. This movie is about all of the stagnation and limiting that has happened to this person that has gotten them to want to like completely blow their lives up and start something new Mm -hmm. so it's like if the movie's just about like should i stay or should i go then we're just at a point in time we want i feel like we want to be at like the pinnacle of this person's life where we're going to see how they truly become the person that they want to be i like that yeah, you're, absolutely, you're, you're, you're the pinnacle of their life. That, that defining moment that changes them for the rest of their lives. Hopefully and unfortunately, better. a lot of like the tropes of the genre is like you immediately meet the character being like, you're, you're a perfectionist or like you take too much on or like you don't know how to say no or like, I mean, a lot of like the things we resort to so we can have these likable characters because it's hard to be like, you're selfish. You're, I mean, the real issues that we have with people in our lives that I think more and more we're trying to bring into these movies. But like, you can think about the real issues that hold people back in their lives and the ways we have to overcome them. It's like, so that's what you're doing. You're setting up a character and you're like, you have been this way forever. And now Mm. this thing is going to happen in your life and you're going to have to like emerge like a phoenix from the ashes, you know? And like, and so that's what the act eight breakup is supposed to be like the fire where like everything has exploded so they can emerge but like sometimes it's more of a tinderbox and you're like uh, no. yeah yeah, yeah I, mean, I always try to bring him down he gets so upset i'm like well i, I try to up. i try to make it make sense so <laughs> no, I, get, I watch other writers do more like kind of friendly or like this didn't work you know they'll have these act dates that are more like mature and softer mm. um and i'm always like i'm gonna try that next time and then every time my act date comes it's just two people screaming at each other for 10 pages being like you have always been this way and i'm like okay sure like but but it works um, if they talk if they talk it out right away it works yeah it's it's the i wasn't answering my my cell phone for three months you know oh yeah mm-hmm. totally okay. Yeah, or like I wrote you a letter 10 years ago. You didn't get my letter, which I have done that, I think, twice. So like and all this time you thought that I broke up with you. It's like, well, we have email. We have, I don't know. Like oh, yeah, the email. Yep, exactly. It was good. Yeah. Um, but we did but say for the most your movies do have like grown-up conversations. Yeah. So I, I think, think that's the key. Yeah. I don't think he's your conflict gets him as, as hot as some. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Def- definitely not. Definitely Still, not. Still, I wanna I wanna please him. So <laughs> And like, I think honestly, my favorite part of all of the entire screen, right? The screenplay is that one breakup conversation. That is my favorite part to write. And like, oh, I really? find that obviously I'm a, like a total fatalist because I can write that conversation 10 different ways. Like I can have them break up and have different core wounds and like hate each other. I mean, the amount of like scathing banter that I can put like I could write an entire movie of just that and I have and my brother was like nobody wants to watch this movie you know so um but yeah that's my favorite part like just we'd watch that Uh, we would probably watch it (laughs) would you okay I'll send it to you Uh, (laughs) I mean that's interesting I mean maybe it's a lot of other people or other writers favorite part too is that sort of breakup you know because you have all this this good happening and then you have this moment of like pop 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 you know like still fighting so yeah and like it's a point where you really get to get into your characters and like I mean when I do it I like to feel their wounds like sometimes someone's just like you know a little unsolicited advice here you know and you're like oh whatever's coming this other character doesn't want to hear it you know 
then you write it and when it works i mean when that acting conflict works and both characters leave absolutely heartbroken feeling like they've truly been confronted by yeah. the way they need to change so they can move forward in their lives i feel like like my job here is done you know and mm-hmm. then i'm like no you still have to write act nine so <laughs> movie's over i'm done which oftentimes i'll like get through act eight and be like on my first draft of screenplay and be like okay you're done and then you're like uh should i write act nine and i'm like okay just write it so then you can rewrite but sometimes i'm like i could just rewrite the entire movie act nine but you're like no act nine is the most important act um it has the horse it has the christmas horse or you know like whatever it is um do you have a favorite script of yours that you've written um i think it's always my newest one, generally. So I really like this midlife crisis movie I just wrote. I really like this Candace Cameron Bure movie I wrote. Um, let's see, of the ones that are produced, I hate to say it, I, I really like Miss Christmas. <laughs> so I'm gonna quit my job now. <laughs> no. It's um, just, it literally makes me cry every time I, oh, every time I see it, but in a good way. Honestly, I'd have to look at my, oh, I really liked Love and Store, although no one else did. So that kind of ruined it for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I really liked my one and only. I thought that actually came, that really came alive and I loved the actress in it. Um, and I'm always trying to get her to do other of my movies. Yeah, um, she was great. She's so good. I've watched that one more recently. It was on Hallmark and I was like, oh, a joie one I haven't seen. But that one was really cool because it did surprise me. She gets the promotion, but she doesn't move to the ranch. She, They're like, how are we going to make this work? Which I really liked, which was nice and refreshing. She um, doesn't move? I don't think I've... Oh, so I think after Miss Christmas, like, gave up on her doctorate to, like, go work at the tree farm, I was kind of like, maybe never again, you know? Like... <laughs> And I'm not sure if I've done it since then. I think maybe Christmas at the Palace, she stayed in like mm, the vague Eastern European city to live with the prince. Um, But she like kind of needed a job anyway. She was like coaching. Honestly, I'd have to like look at my IMDB. Love in store, she keeps her job. I try to like not take feminism back a whole lot, you know? A little bit, but maybe, no, I'm just kidding. I try to like <laughs> leave these characters feeling strong. Falling for you, he comes to her town and Jingle Around the Clock wasn't really my movie. That one wasn't? Oh. I, uh, this amazing writer, Zach Hug, that was a movie that like, if you want to talk about projects you just can't get, like I wrote and rewrote that movie so many times and kept being like, how about now? And at some point, the execs who I love so much had to call me and be like, what would you think about someone else taking a stab at it? And oh. I was just like, oh my Lord, I've been replaced. Like this has never happened to me. <laughs> um, and I like called my brother and my brother's like, wow, this is like, every writer ever gets replaced all the time like just shut up he was basically like shut up I was like okay um and then I continued to work with these execs on so many other projects and I love them and one of them who is my favorite for whenever I like I'm like I did good she's like but don't forget Christmas coffee that was the original name of the movie and it's called Christmas coffee and so for Christmas this year she sent me a mug that says Christmas coffee on it so whenever I'm feeling really good about myself I could just be really humbled oh man wow yeah um well I didn't know that yeah because I never know we talk about that a lot and you would kind of let me know brought into light that there is a lot of rewrites which I didn't quite know because I'll see like a bunch of writers names and so I don't really know how that works but so like you could write a script and then it gets put into other people's hands yeah a lot it happens a lot 
And a lot of times it's like timing. Like sometimes you'll write, you know, some portion of a script, 50% of the project, and then it'll sit around for a while and it'll suddenly be slated and be turned around immediately. And maybe the writer wasn't available or maybe they like need to make sure it can be done super quickly. So things like that happen. And then sometimes like with Christmas copy, you just can't get it. And it's hard to say why, you know, and sometimes it's like some writers have some strengths, some writers have other strengths. Like a lot of times when I'm offered rewrites, it's like, oh, the dialogue needs some humor, needs a little pep. And those are my favorite ones. Although it tends like it's so hard as a writer to go in and just rewrite dialogue. You start being like, well, what if I rewrote the entire movie? And then all of a sudden (laughs) you've rewritten the entire movie and they're like, we didn't ask for that. It must be really hard actually to go into another writer's work after they've worked on the script and just do the dialogue how I mean how do you get into this character's head because the dialogue is you have exactly. to do it so how do you I don't that? think I've ever done it. it happens a lot like when you watch these big tentpole movies I'd say almost all of them at some point they've taken that movie into a writer's room just of like comedians and they've just sat around and punched up all the jokes really yeah that happens uh, like almost on every single movie you will see that's like Pokemon or whatever, Godzilla, or I can't even name movies because I haven't been to a theater in 13 months. I'm like, you know, Ryan, The Last Dragon, since I saw it last night. But yeah, like you'll bring in a team of people to punch up jokes. And so Mm. it happens a lot with this too, but I find it so hard because like, I'm just like, oh, I can't understand how this character thinks. And so then I have to be like, oh, what, you know, and you start breaking them down and then you end up making a lot more work than you needed to make. Yeah. You would mention the script you're working on now, you're struggling with it. Yes. I did have a question and I love asking writers this, but how do you deal with writer's block? Or like, like you said, you're struggling with the script. Like, what, are there certain things that you do to get yourself out of it? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, I'd say working on a Hallmark timeline has taught me how to get over writer's block really quickly. When I started, it would be like a week. I didn't understand this thing. Um, and then the more I have like tools in my toolbox, the more I can come back and be like, oh, this thing worked once or try this. And I, something that really works is like calling another writer and being like, what do you think about this? And spitballing, that really helps. Sometimes I find that what helps is just washing some dishes. I'll just get up and wash like dishes for 10 minutes. And then I'll be like, oh, I've got the answer. And so I don't really struggle with writer's block on Hallmark projects anymore. This, what I'm struggling with now is more being like, I don't like at some point in the process, you're like, oh, again, I'll equate it to like weaving, but where you're like, oh, I feel the tapestry of this project. And like, I get a sense of the world and the tone and the feeling. And you realize it can go so many different directions. And at some point that becomes like scary because sometimes you're like, I know exactly where this needs to go and I can feel it and it works. And then sometimes you're just like, it can go so many different directions. None of them feel exactly right. There's something that I'm not getting here. And like right now with this project, I'm like, I don't know what I'm not getting. And it becomes like a bigger foundational issue where you're just like, I don't feel, I don't feel the tapestry of the project. Like I, I, I can't really, I can't really understand it. And sometimes it just comes from self-doubt. Like you send something out, you pray for the best. Sometimes you get awesome feedback. And sometimes your agent is like, burn that book, you know? And then you're just like, I'm never writing again. And so I can be quite immoderate. So I think the smart thing for me to do here is just to be like, you'll get it eventually. Just write that fourth draft of the outline. But then another part of me is like, 
I've already been three drafts of this outline. Like, I don't know how much more I have in me. Um, and I get, like, I talk to other Hallmark writers who are sometimes like, I don't know if I have this in me. And that's a question where you're like, what do you do, you know? Um, and this project is like, it's very meaningful to me. It like symbolizes a lot for me. Quitting would feel really terrible for me. And yet, can I do the project justice, you know? And like, part of me wants to be like, you're joie. Like, come on, you wrote 18 on these movies. Like, what are you talking about? And then another part of me is like sipping from my Christmas coffee mug, you know, just being <laughs> like, <laughs> there's never a point when you're fully like, I've got this. So I think it just comes down to like a spiritual decision. Like, do you plug through or do you say like, I don't have the artistic juice, but going back to like writer's block, I think at some point, like, you know, the format so well that you just you don't really have writer's block anymore. And a big, if there are writers listening out there, a great way to not have writer's block is to just outline and outline and outline. Mm -hmm. And then like, I can tell you Christmas copy, I would sit and I would be writing it and being like, what happens in this next scene? And if you have to ask yourself what happens in this next scene, like not you, because everybody writes differently. Like if I have to, then I know I'm in trouble because I should be sitting down and being like, I know every single thread of this movie. I know where every character is at in this part because like as you're writing, you, for me, I can only juggle one thing at a time. I do a pass. That's just to make sure that like things are making sense and where they should be. And then I go back in and I'm like, don't even realize I'm doing it. But like, where is every character emotionally at? And things start oh. to change. You're like, oh, that didn't make sense. Because I can't juggle all the balls. You're like, you're moving story and you're moving like big foundation and structure in this first draft. And you're going back and being like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. But I couldn't have felt it because I was so focused on the big thing. So. I went on a tangent there. No, uh, no, I, I love that. Thank we love you. tangents. Yeah, thank you so much. If I end up carrying this movie through, I'll come back to you guys and be like, I did it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I hope this movie gets really made. <laughs> me too. I mean, it will get made. The question is, will it get made with me? This is the question. And like, that's, it's not that I mind like being replaced or stepped off. It's more like I become focused on this project as like something that I want to do. And so yeah. we'll yeah. see. Yeah. I, I think the best advice I got from my writer friend was writing is getting drunk in reverse, where you start off with a hangover and then at the end, that's when you're drunk and happy and elated and everything. I think that that makes so much sense. So much totally, the beginning, you know? totally. And I like the way that I feel, like I could tell I've done a script right if at the end I'm like, this was truly an adventure. If I feel like I went on an adventure, the character went on an adventure, they're like, everything's in a completely different place. The world is entirely different for having made this thing. Then I'm like, my job here is done. I say that a lot and my job is yet never done. So I'm just like, obviously I'm really focused on my job being done because it never ends. I did have a question. If you weren't a writer, if you, if, were you always, did you always know you wanted to be a writer or if you weren't writing, what else do you think you might be doing? Oh my, like Lord, Stephanie, I have done so many weird things in my life. Like, let me start the list. After graduating from film school, I went to work for Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. I don't know if you know them. So I like sailed around Antarctica on a giant boat, chasing Japanese whaling ships, trying to convince them not to whale. And I did that for a little bit. And then I came back and I worked for Fox Studios, which was even weirder as an assistant. I did that for a year. That was the only year I've ever worked in somewhat in an office. Um, and then I like decided to go be a bum in Scandinavia. So I like went to Scandinavia and like couch surfed for a while and like lived for free and like dunked through dumpsters and stuff and was like, I'm still in my 20s. This is charming. It wasn't. And then I came home back to LA and I was working as an assistant again, and, like working odd jobs and like finding place to live for free um, as opposed to getting a real job because I was a writer 
you know, and I had to spend all my time writing. My hands are in quotations here, big quotations. Yeah. Wasn't writing, was just sitting in front of a computer, like don't know what I was doing. And then after doing that for a while, I decided to move to San Francisco and I got a job in sales. I worked in sales for a couple of years and then I had my son and I decided I was going to become a therapist because I'm in my early thirties. So why not? And so a friend was like, go work at a crisis line first. So then I went to work at a crisis line. I went to work at Alameda suicide hotline for a couple of years and realized that was an incredible experience and also realized I didn't want to be a therapist. And that is when I went back to writing and I still have dreams of like becoming a therapist one day when I don't have to do it to pay bills. But my real dream in life is I love working and helping people who are homeless. That's always been something that's very important to me. And I would love to find a way to either work in a sector or create some sort of project that would uh, help people not be homeless in a way that empowers them. So that is like my ultimate lifelong dream. And also mm -hmm. somewhere in there, I worked at a nightclub for a while. So I would work like <laughs> 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So sometimes my son screams forever. I'm just like, oh, I don't hear it. I used to work at like a house nightclub. I just had house blaring like all night long. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, so those are the things that I've done. And I really love writing. So I hope I can stay with it forever. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty good at it. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I do have another little question before. Um, I was curious of what your favorite romantic comedy is it whether hallmark or not but now that you've seen some now that you've seen some hallmark movies <laughs> but it doesn't um, have to be hallmark but if you have like a favorite rom-com so my favorite rom-com ever which like not full rom-com is clueless um so and it's, it's a rom-com it's a rom-com rom okay following it slightly i mean she like gets with her brother so i don't want to classify it under rom-com but <laughs> yes i guess it is um how to lose a guy in eight days ten days Days. however many days <laughs> maybe eight days favorite. is the sequel i don't know but yeah i'm writing it right now like we've got a more fast-paced world <laughs> although i feel like five days is long for dating now anyway so you're like yeah. um those are my favorites for hallmark um i really love that summer movie i was talking about love of course i think it's called we haven't, yeah we just started watching the the non we the were non pretty okay. strictly christmas for a while okay. and then now we have we just would decide to keep hallmark channel all year round yeah. um, all year round so now yeah. we're getting to branch out into all the other summer spring to listen to your lucky or um as luck would have it because that writer is a friend of mine audrey shulman oh, oh we man. loved that movie <laughs> oh good i can't wait to watch it yeah, yeah we pretty much just like us gushing the whole episode yeah. Yeah. That's and scary. I mean, Ireland is just amazing. Yeah. So we did have, we don't normally do games on this show, but I thought this might be kind of fun with okay. you. Since we always say that your movies are like some of the most quotable movies, like oh, you have you. quotes that we just- like I jot them yeah, down. Yeah, we jot them down. So what, what did they say? What did they say? <laughs> so um, we thought we'd play a fun little quote game to see how well you know your words. Oh, so, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> so we'll have like, we'll just say the quote and then you just have to guess which okay. movie it is. Wait, can I like pull up my IMDb so I can know all the names? Yes, yes. Okay. We'll, we'll allow that. We'll allow that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. It's ridiculous that I have to do this, but sometimes the names change so much when you're writing them that I wouldn't know the name of the movie of course that's what we've noticed a lot when we're looking these up afterwards for some of the research we're like oh that used to be called that and that like yeah 
I know. Sometimes Christmas. the titles don't make sense, but yeah. we. Okay, I got it up. Okay. 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 It feels like the right decision when you're gaining more than you're giving up. Cranberry Christmas? Mm. Oh, no, it feels like the right decision when you're gaining more than you're giving up. Oh my God, I'm failing right out of the gate. What is it? <laughs> it is Love in the Sun. I mean, stump me with that one, guys. <laughs> but okay. yeah, that one might be a little more obscure. Some of these are no. pretty obvious. No, no, no. That I feel humbled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good line. Love doesn't end. It just changes forms. Project Christmas Wish. Yep. Right away. Right yeah, away. She knew that. <laughs> right away. Go ahead. I feel like this one's going to be pretty obvious. There are no perfect marriages, just imperfect oh. people that don't give up on each other. Cranberry Christmas. Yeah. But my favorite line is the one I think that comes right after that, where she's like, and my grandma used to say this to me. She would be like, admit your faults. They're obvious anyways. <laughs> I do feel like a lot of your, and I've noticed this, it's like, they'll say like this amazing line, but the character's like, my dad always told me this or my grandma always told this. So I didn't know if like you get uh, those from your grandma. Like if that's. No, usually I only get these like scathing letters about. <laughs> I knew this was happening. My next movie. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I do. I have very, I have some quotable family members for sure. Um, sometimes the fear won't go away. So you have to do it afraid. You have to do it afraid. That's um, my one and only. Yeah. Wow. Quick. They're going right. up in that hot air balloon. I know that because you'll notice a couple things in all my movies. They are addicted to sugar and they're afraid of heights. That's me. Encouraging them to get close is protecting them. Oh, that's um, Christmas at the palace or Christmas in Vienna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas in Vienna. I love, I love that line. I love that line. Oh, thank you. It's, just, it's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're totally right. That is right. Uh -huh. That's so sweet. <laughs> it means a lot to me that it means something to you. Oh, really? Thank you. Yeah, a lot of your line, and that's why we like that like resonates with us. Mm -hmm. Like we're always just like, we'll look at each other and be like, wow, that was a really good line. Especially like the, the right decision when you're get, gaining more than you're giving up. I think that's that's so apt when you're having to make those, I do those too. big life choices. You know? That's why I forgot it. <laughs> Recently, a big one I've been saying over and over to myself is when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. So. Should, I, should I jot that down? Yeah. Jot it down. Is it going to be? Is it gonna be... <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the Christmas movie if it ever comes to the screen. It's just. And there's and just it, one more. It, like, go, go for the last one. We're going to have our good times and our bad times, but promise me we'll keep growing. Um, <laughs> okay. Love in store? Ooh. Uh, no, a brush of love? This one. <laughs> it's your favorite one. It's Miss one. Christmas? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I failed you, Miss Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. thank you for fun. thank you for doing that that was so fun yeah. i mean i feel like my ego is fully stroked so thank you very much you're welcome no but well you have sort of mentioned it we usually do at the end with our guests like have a little proud plug of what you've got going on what's coming yeah. up for you or how our listeners can find you yeah um so I am on Instagram, but I don't really use it very much right now. And the same thing with Facebook. It's just my name, Shua Botkin. But I have a wedding movie coming, I think in June, called Her Pen Pal. And that one is all shot in Europe and supposedly looks like a fairy tale. And it's very quippy. So I think you guys will like it. Nice. 
Um, and then I may or may not have a Christmas movie coming. <laughs> and then I have a bunch of movies that have not been shot. So I don't know when they are coming. So I don't have a lot of plugs, but it's also kind of Christmas season just starting. So we'll see what I pick up. Yeah. It's always fun to do a couple like rewrites, you know, so we'll see. But her pen pal, I'm very excited about. That sounds like one we like. That's exciting. This yeah. one was supposed to be shot before COVID and then we got pushed off. So it's exciting. The fun thing about Hallmark is that you're kind of like, I don't know, you know, like <laughs> people are like, what do you have coming? You're like, I really have no idea. And I might be trying to like, we might, like, I might try to move this summer or, um, so I've kind of been trying to leave some space off of work to maybe have a little bit of reset time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say you need it. You've written a lot of movies. I feel like every year since like Miss Christmas. It's cool. It's really like, it's just such a privilege. Like I am so used to being a like struggling writer who has no money that every day I'm just, even the days that are really hard, I'm like, wow, who would have thought, you know? (laughs) yeah then I take my Christmas coffee mug I'm like don't get too comfortable I'm never gonna forget that the Christmas coffee mug yeah it's really funny thank you so much I really like you guys are amazing I love to listen to your podcast it's been super cool meeting you we'll have you back every time you get a new movie (laughs) thank you okay bye guys Bye. bye